So any questions tonight? Um, I wanted to ask if there are any prominent figures that you took Shiksha from besides Sri Ramanuj. After the departure of uh, Pujapad Sridharmarsh from the world, I did uh, um, have the opportunity to. Well, after the after his departure, shortly thereafter, um, I found myself starting to go through the persons I was thinking of, maybe, and it didn't work out. <laughs> so well, maybe I won't say about, talk about that, but. Um, at one point, after the passing of Shino Marsh in the world, I was living in Vrindavan, and um, someone told me that Pramod Puri Marsh was down the road at, at uh, Madhav Marsh's Moth on the Mathura Road. And I had met Puri Marsh, who used to come, Pramod Puri Marsh used to come to Pujapad Shino Marsh's Vyasa Puja celebration every year. He would come and pay homage to Shino Marsh. So I, I met him in that context. And um, I had met him separately from that context. And um, I was also aware of the fact that some of the disciples of Guru Maharaj, of Sridhar Maharaj, had, um, had taken sannyas from him rather than staying within Chaitanya Saraswat Math under the auspices of uh, Bhakti Sundar Govinda Maharaj. And that had caused a little bit of a... Um, some waves uh, over that section. I was didn't get involved, um, and um, and so I went down to see Pramod Puri Goswami Marsh and uh, Bodhayan Marsh was there taking care of him. It was a humble setting, and um, he was coming to spend Kartik in Vrindavan, and uh, so I will go every night and um, Puri Goswami Maharaj didn't speak English mm-hmm. but I would go bring some devotees and and uh, I brought some attention to his presence there mm-hmm. and um, because he would always be speaking and quoting Chaitanya Charitamrita and he's speaking in Bengali um, I could follow a lot of what he, what he said. He would cite a verse. I know what verse he said. I could see where he knew what the question was and so forth. So, I mean, it wasn't like hearing him say it in English. And, and uh, I'm certainly not fluent in Bengali, but I was able to you know, find my way. And besides that, I felt very comfortable being in his company. Generous, compassionate, uh, affectionate company. And... Um, I st- you, know, you would study his habits, how I would come sometimes, come sometimes early in the morning and see how he, despite his old age and uh, and um, inability to really to get around and do anything practically, um, he would very very meticulously put on his tea lock every morning and go through his ritual. And he would insist on getting up and going and paying obeisances to the deity and so forth. And, and he had bad postures. He was very hunched over. It was difficult for him 
to get around. I mean, by that time, you, I think he was already over a hundred years old at that time. Hmm. Uh, so I derived a lot of inspiration uh, from him, his character, his, his person. Um, um, but again, I wasn't able to hear from him in my native language as I was from Pujapad Sridhar Marsh. Um, nonetheless, as I say, um, I was able to introduce some devotees to him. I brought Narasimha Maharaj over there, who recently passed away, god brother of mine. At that time, we were we were um, both um, involved in the, in, in the Rupanuga Bhajanashram, the temple in, in Vrindavan. Maybe you visited there. I don't know. You know you know that a little bit of history. We'll get to that perhaps then with your question, but uh, but at but uh, at that time, um, within you know a period of a year, or a year and a half, or two, or something like that, uh, uh, or during that period, Pakistan Govindamars had begun to tour the United States and other parts, and um, and. Bhaktivedanta Narayan Marsh was also um, becoming a prominent figure amongst devotees. There was a controversy in ISKCON. Some of the leaders had um, derived inspiration from him, and that was not allowed. And one thing led to another, and. Um, I'm not sure if he had started touring America. I mean, the first time he toured America, we invited him. I was at a temple in Oregon, a state just above California. We, we invited him to come there and hosted him and his group for about three days. No other temple in North America um, gave him an invitation. Um, so, at, but at any rate, they were they were out and prominent in the eyes of a lot of devotees. And um, of course, I knew Govinda Maharaj, and I visited with him quite a bit too. Um, but I found more um, inspiration in Puri Maharaj. So a famous devotee of sorts in relation to Puri Maharaj is Ram Das. Ram Das was previously associated with ISKCON and, and, um, and um, had been initiated in that group, and he had a publishing company called Palace Press and Mandala Publishing. And, and a couple of times he um, tried to work with me because I was publishing. We did some things together. Uh, we published a book called Form of Beauty, I think. And it was, uh, what was it? Artwork or something? I think uh, B.G. Sharma. Sharma's artwork, and then I wrote copy for the, for the book. It's a big like picture book. That and a few other things. Um, so I was at Rupanuga Bhajanashram and he came to India and he came there and he asked me, he said that, Marsh, who should I get initiated by? Hmm? He said, Govinda Marsh or Brian Marsh? And I said, I said, come with me, I'll, I'll, I'll take you somewhere. So I took him to see Puri Marsh. Hmm? And didn't comment otherwise answer his question. I just said, oh, let me introduce you, introduce you to somebody. So I took him there, 
went for a couple of nights and he was inspired. So he wanted to take initiation from Purimar. So I walked over with him in the morning for him to be initiated. And, and um, Purimarsh uh, was going to give him Harinam and I just said he should give him Diksha also. He said, Diksha also. He said, I said, yes, because he had been in Iskon, he had had Diksha in Iskon, and so on. So I felt good about that. And then it turned out that Ramdas was able to uh, make, help to make Purimarsha more of an international figure by printing, by, he had Jagadananda. Uh, a godbrother of mine who's fluent in Bengali and, and in, in Gaudi Siddhanta translate many articles from uh, not the Harmonist but one of the other publications of Bhakti Siddhanta Sashri Thakur that Puri Marsh was the editor of he had written many many articles so they very good articles so they translate, translated them in English they published a book called Art of Sadhana I think it was but those all those articles very good book and uh, other th- other things of his, Ramdas got translated and published, and they bought a building for a Daoji temple, old Balaram temple in Vrindavan, and and something in Mayapur, and I think in Puri as well, and and uh, so I kind of got out of the way, and and and. and um, um, Marsh uh, was this personal attendant of Purimarsh became his successor. So I, you know, I saw that all happen and happily. And uh, so I would say that in a different way, as I'm explaining, the um, sadhu I most became associated with um, after the departure of Chitpachita Marsh was, was Puri Goswami Marsh. And um, I knew others as well associated with them, but um, they didn't affect me in in the same way. And then um, it was also a sadhu living at the Radha Radha Gokulananda Radha Gokulananda, who was in charge of Radha Gokulananda Temple for years, and uh, he was a, a sannyasi disciple of Odalomi Maharaj, who was a sannyasi disciple of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur and affiliated with the Bhag Bazaar Math and and all the uh, in the middle of really of all the intrigue that that uh, took place after the departure of Bhakti Siddhanta with regard to Nanta Vasudev, who was the Acharya and it's a long, long history. Um, and it's looked at in different ways by different factor factions and so forth. But at any rate, he was living in, and, uh, and, and every night he was at Radhagokulananda. That was Bhakti Gambira, um, Giri Maharaj. And Vrindaranya, she um, met him, and she was studying Bengali. She used to sit over there at the temple and read Bengali, and um, and go there to Arctic uh, at, at night and so forth. So she pulled me over there to meet him, and we had a nice relationship. Although he didn't speak English either, so it was a similar kind of a situation. And he was not a, really a, a public figure at all. Um, and uh, he was a very 
in inspiring person in the sincerity, the depth of his sincerity, and the extent to which he applied himself in all the in the angas of bhakti that he engaged in, whether it be kirtan, he would do the, lead the kirtan every night at Radha Gokul on the Mandir, Gaur Artik and then Radha Krishna Artik, the songs of bhakti Vinod. Then he would give a class on Guvindali Lamrita usually. Um, and uh, he presided over different festivals and uh, uh, got donations from visitors to buy new outfits for the deity. So the place was very alive. Radhagukul Ananda Mandir was a, is, a, is a temple that is, was, well, I forget if it's either founded by Lokanath Goswami or Narottam, but Lokanath's deity is there, Narottam's deity there, Narottam's Chaitanya Mahaprabhu deity is there, Raghunath Ra- Ra- Goswami's Govardhan Shila that Mahaprabhu gave him is there. So it's a very, very famous temple. And um, it's uh, under, in some legal way, I think, under the Radharaman temple and some government influence. And so some of these older temples, um, you know, they, they don't have um, an ongoing, like Rupa Goswami's Radha Gobinda temple. It's kind of like owned by the government. You know, it's not like after all these years, it's vibrant and succession is clear and so forth. Um, there are there is a Goswami family that runs the second Radhagumina temple. So anyway, the, the, this is the condition of a lot of the original Gaudiya temples. So uh, so it makes them more like monuments. Hmm? And maybe there's a hired pujari that's there. Hmm? And it's not a vibrant uh, temple, so to speak. But Girimaj made Radhagukulanda into, into a vibrant <coughs> temple. Hmm? So he had some real affection for Radhagukulananda. So um, uh, I had, I would say, a very uh, friendly relationship with him that was mutual and and inspiring in a a particular way because it's hard to find a real sadhu who's who's sincere and giving themselves so much to each and every every practice and and of course he lived very 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 simply Hmm? and um, never eat anything that wasn't offered to the deity and and so on so um, Yeah, outside of that, uh, there there was uh, nobody had the good fortune of having an association. I associated with the Govinda Maharaj and Ryan Marsh also. I had relationships with them that was was different. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the kind of nourishment from Govinda Maharaj that I got from Sridhar Maharaj. I respected him, and and um, I think that what he did was admirable um, and um, praiseworthy and. Uh, and all, and it worked. It was very, it was very inspiring to a number of devotees. And I think that Puja Pachitamarsh would have been very pleased with him. So, but it, but I didn't have the, the kind of relationship I, with him that I had with uh, Sridharmarsh for any number of reasons. And then, and then Narayan Marsh. I, I knew Narayan Marsh also before he went on his 
became famous, went on his international campaign and so forth. And um, and so I had a different relationship with him than all the people who, some of my godbrothers and godsisters who followed him. And I think he was a potent, potent sadhu, and he knew the shastra very well. He was good, was good association, but but. Um, I talked very frankly with him, and he encouraged me to go on the way I, in my in my own way as I am, which was more the norm. Hmm? You know, it's more the norm that you would. It's a person in my position would continue on with the legacy of my my gurus and Prabhupada and Sridhar Maharaj with my own mission and to just to join his mission, which is some people said you should join. His mission. I said, "That's for you. <laughs> That's not for me." So, but uh, he liked me. He liked me. And, and as I knew him, I, I spent some time with him, several number of meetings, whatnot, private and so forth, before he ever went on his tours and and afterwards as well. Like I said, we hosted him at our temple, and I had a correspondence with him, letters. As well about certain issues and so forth. So, uh, he, he did a good, good, good service to the community overall. But you know, he was involved in a fight with ISKCON that I didn't want to get involved in. And I don't think it was his fault, but some of his followers were a little over the top as, as well. That's another thing. So, but those are some of the prominent people. Some prominent uh, devotees that come to mind, who came to uh, light, so to speak, after the disappearance of Sridhar Marsh. Um, some devotees got inspiration from Gorgobinda Marsh, a godbrother of mine from Orissa. I knew him. I had a different relationship with him, also. I thought he was a genuine sadhu, and. Uh, People were, would do well to be under his guidance, I thought. We had a friendly relationship from way back. We used to meet in Mayapur every year. and He was writing, he was doing translations of Prabhupada's books in Orissan, Orian language, and he's from Orissan. And I was, of course, famous for distributing books. So being involved in book publishing which was dear to Prabhupada, and which Saraswati Thakur called the Brihat Murdanga, himself being involved in the publishing, me being, myself being involved in the distribution, well known for that. I just had this natural camaraderie, so to speak, commonality of, common ground of the service that he used to be happy to see me. And I didn't know him very well, but well enough. Um, and I met a number of other sannyasis, disciples of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati Thakur, and uh, who were, had missions. And um, I knew some Babaji's at Radhakund in that sector also. Had met them, heard them. 
Anantadas Babaji became well known in more recent times he's passed away. I never met him. So there you go. But we always look for good association. So So you wanted to ask something? It's a very similar uh, same time period. Um, I'd like to know more about the backstory of In Search of the Ultimate Goal of Life, something mysterious about these manuscripts and Radhagamdhar. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, with us, we had an ashram called Rupaduga Bhajan Ashram in Vrindavan, uh, in the Maharaj and I. Uh, I funded it and staffed it and he helped to acquire it. And then he wanted to um, at some point he wanted to sell it and use the proceeds for a project in South India. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't I didn't resist and um, and um, what I got out of it was what happened when we were there and I guess whatever he got out of doing in South India. <laughs> uh, so but um, but during that period um, he always had a strong relationship with Radhadamadar Temple and with Prabhupada's rooms there in particular. Prabhupada lived in in two rooms at the Radhadamadar Temple. Radhadam Temple has a, a number of rooms and they provide them for sadhus. Hmm? The last I knew, Giri Marsh had been living at the Radhadamadar Temple. Giri Marsh, Bhakti Gambir Giri Marsh, I had mentioned earlier. Um, in fact, he might have been living there even while he was serving at Radhagokulananda, I don't remember. But anyway, Prabhupada had rooms there. And um, he wrote uh, a good part of his first Canto Bhagavatam commentary there. So it was a dear place to him. And from his, one room was a kitchen. Hmm? And from the kitchen room, there was a little window you could see out into the courtyard where Rupa Goswami's samadhi was. There's a big courtyard with many samadhis. Um, but the original... So, Actual, not a not a pushpa samadhi like a satellite samadhi, but a, the actual samadhi of Rupa Goswami is there. So it's you know it's a very holy place. And from his kitchen out the window, Prabhupada could see Rupa Goswami's samadhi. And then he had another room where he would would uh, rest and probably would do his, his writing as well. There were two rooms, and there was a little walkway in between them. So Prabhupada lived there, and Prabhupada for his lunch he had. Prashadam from the Bogartik of Radhadamadar. From there, he would go to Delhi and sell his back to Godhead magazine and get it printed. And, and he was living very simply as a renounced Vaishnav in Vrindavan. You know, who knew who he was and who knows who so many sadhus living there are, is the point, right? Mm-hmm. As well. So, um, uh, after Prabhupada's passing, then. Um, he said, I live forever in my rooms at Radhadamadar, so I think his society has gone, made some arrangement to um, keep the rooms alive and vital for pilgrims to come and offer homage there and so forth. And at some point they had an arrangement with the Radhadamadar temple where a sannyasi would live in Prophet's quarters and take, take care of them. He would cook his lunch there and and, and live simply. And different sannyasis would uh, volunteer for a year to do that, and another sannyasi would. It was a nice 
service for a sannyasi. And uh, I think the Shingamarsh did that for some time. And he, so he had some real affinity for that and identification with those rooms. And at some point, um, not while he was living there, I don't know how he did it, to be honest, the exact details, but he uncovered this manuscript that was there, um, which was, uh, the, what was it called? Search for the Ultimate Goal of Life? Maybe, I think probably titled it like that. And it's basically an overview of Chaitanya Charitamrita. It's basically what it is. Mm-hmm. And apparently Prabhupada had written it, and then he went on to write an actual commentary on Chaitanya Charitamrita, and this didn't get published. And I think that the BBT, which is the publishing arm of ISKCON that Prabhupada had formed, had a copy of the manuscript. I believe they did. Um, um, but... A, but an, uh, but I'm not sure what I think they did, but 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 there was a copy somehow in the rooms around them, and I don't know where. But uh, Nishingamarsh found it, mm-hmm. and so the Bhaktivedanta Book Trust had never published it. Mm-hmm. So he and I arranged to uh, publish it. I don't think I wrote an introduction or a preface to that. I'm not sure. Did. did I? I wrote a introduction, preface. Okay. So yeah, we 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 published that together. I think the BBT was might have been upset with that. I'm not sure. Um, but that that kind of thing happened. Uh, I I found uh, once the manuscript of Prabhupada's commentary on Upadesh Amrita before it was ever published. Hmm. And uh, the BBT must have had a copy of it, and they lo- somehow another copy got left somewhere. I found it, and I, I read it probably before any devotee ever read it. It was electrifying to me to to read that Upadesh Amrita commentary. So it was something like that, and um, um, we, 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 we published it and circulated it. And uh, It's a nice little, little book. Uh, it's a little... You could say it's a little redundant to the commentary, but it, it's, it's 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 different still, and and uh, an early writing of Prabhupada. It's an early writing of Prabhupada, so it didn't go through the same filter, I don't think, of of editing. I think maybe we might have preserved a little more of his broken English for the certain give it a certain flavor. Um, like some of the early Back to Godheads that have been republished and they preserved the language that it was written in. Although Prabhupada, of course, wanted his, his language to be updated and edited and so the educated English people would would uh, respect it and from a, just from a linguistic and a grammatical point of view. But there's also something charming about his, uh, his broken English and some of that has been preserved. I mean, we did some editing. I think Rinder Ranyat must have edited it editor of the book. So, that's a little story on that. We did that. We did the one we talked about last night, the one that went to McGill University of Bhaktivinotakur. Might have been another one, too, that we did. I can't recall. We did Our Affectionate Guardians. Have you seen that? Yeah, 
that is a recorded conversations transcribed and published by us of leading members of ISKCON, like the Governing Body Commission, in conversations with Sridhar Marsh. And it shows the whole history of how he was abused by them and how insightful he was in answering their questions and how lacking they were in the ability to appreciate that to forget their questions and get absorbed in the answers and realize they were sitting in the company of a person that um, was worthy of their homage. Instead, they, they treated him roughly and comes out in the book. It's but it's, a, it's an important historical uh, document. I'm not sure how much of that copies of that in circulation. We should we should probably re- reprint it. It's it's a nice little book. So, what else? Yes. Comrade, I was wondering a follow-up question um, on uh, on the book editing. Uh, yeah. Um, when I first read the Gita, it was the, I guess it was 1993 edition or something that they probably kept changing or whatever a little bit here and there, but um, someone hinted that they changed them and I, I found the original one, I started reading it and I understand your, your saying as well that the editing was Prabhupada's wish to keep the language uh, up to date, but then, uh, then how much do you think uh, because there's been quite a large amount of editing, and I found some of it a little bit upsetting. Is that just a detail, or how much do you think we should... Right. Well, there's a huge controversy that's um, been going on, raging for years, right, about the editing of Prabhupada's books after his having passed from the world. And um, I have not been involved in it. I have my opinion about it. It's a different opinion. Um, and, it, and what I said about editing, that Prabhupada wanted his books edited and to be in the best possible English and so forth, to that it would resonate, as I say, um, grammatically with educated people in the English, English-speaking world. That's a separate thing, and that doesn't that doesn't address does he don't want his books edited after he leaves the world. Hmm? And I think that um, obviously there's, t- there's 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 two sides to it. There may be three sides, uh, three opinions. Shouldn't be edited. All the edits are good. Some editing should have been done, mm-hmm. but not but it went too far. Something like that. I think there are three three opinions about it. And. Um, and I have a fourth of my own. Um, my opinion is that, um, and I don't know everything that Prophet said on about said about it, because uh, I didn't bother to research it. That, that leads some to believe that 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 he would have wanted some measure. Of ongoing editing, hmm? um, there's a good argument to be made that some editing could improve it in the way in which Prabhupada wanted it to be improved in his presence. As I say, to be grammatically 
you know, at the at the at the, at the, at the best possible level and um, and, and so forth. Hmm? Um, so that said, Bhakti Vinod, of course, makes a famous statement in his very um, inspiring lecture. It uh, termed the Bhagwat. There's a speech he gave in uh, in Bengal or or Bangladesh um, about Shrimad Bhagavatam, and it's it's been uh, uh, published hmm? uh, a few different times. Very inspiring, very broad Saragrahi perspective. How he talks about the Bhagwat. Uh, you familiar with that? Oh, it's very powerful. Just very just. No devotee could put it down. It's just bhakti vinod at his at his most broad-minded and broad-minded and uh, and depth. You can see what is his depth of understanding that allows him to speak in such a broad way. Hmm? He's coming that his broadness is rising out of his depth. It's just this is an incredible, incredible lecture. Um, but in there he says no book is perfect, hmm. and to support that further, if you will, we can refer to the Bhagavatam itself. Yasmin Bhagavatam, it is said, this book has mistakes in it. But those should be overlooked. It more or less says that. It's it's of course it's a book of almost eighteen thousand poetic verses. There's some prose in it, some chapters that are prose, particularly in the fifth canto. There's a lot of prose, uh, but it's a very sophisticated language. I mean, there's no comparison between the language in the Bhagavatam and that of other Puranas. Just a practical uh, point. As to its, uh, its, uh, how it stands out amongst the Puranas, which other Puranas say it, it does. But at any rate, um, without going into that further, it says there may be imperfections in the book. After all, 18,000 verses, you know, you might find a typo <laughs> or something, you know, or grammatical error in sophisticated poetic language. But that should not get in the way. Of the message, hmm. it's a it's a book about uh, glorifying Bhagwan, which is, makes it perfect. Hmm. When Chaitanya Dev was asked by Ishwar Puri Pad before Puri Marsh initiated him, before he had been asked for initiation by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which came later in East Bengal. This time, Bhuimaj was visiting Vrindavan, and Nimai Pandit had a reputation for being a scholar. And he was, of course, very charming. He met Puripad on the, on, the, on the road and appropriately showed respect to him and invited him to lunch. So Bhuimaj dined at his house at the cooking of Sachimata, and he had composed a book. I forget the name of the book. Krishna Vijay, maybe? Krishna Lilamrita, I think, maybe. And um, given that uh, Nimai Pandit was a scholar, it means 
he knew Sanskrit grammar and poetry and, and so forth, and he had his he had his own students even that he was teaching. Um, he asked Purpada uh, asked uh, Vishwambar Mishra to read over the book and let me know, like proofread it for me. Hmm. Any find any errors, um, let me know. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said that there can be no errors in the book written in glorification of Krishna. Mm-hmm. And Purmaj appreciated the sentiment and had left the book with him. So some days later, Mahaprabhu said, actually I read the book and I, I did find one point here where you said this and, and, and so on and so forth. I forget the detail. And uh, he pointed out to Purimarsh, and Purimarsh looked at it and then showed him how it was correct. Hmm. And Mahaprabhu said, just see. <laughs> uh, so, um, no book is perfect, anyway. Hmm. But what does that mean? It may not be perfect in terms of grammar, it may not be perfect in other respects, um, but it may be perfect nonetheless from another vantage point. So that's the way I would look at Prabhupada's books as being perfect. Mm-hmm. But literally, from a literal, literal point of view, there are, mis- there are mistakes in Prabhupada's books in that he says one thing over here, he says another thing over here. He says this person gives this name here, this person a different name there. There's a, uh, I get notes from people, not so much anymore what I used to. Um, uh, Prabhupada said this here, I said there, these things are, these things are contradictory. How do you understand that? So, I would give my answer, which, you know, it's kind of a dynamic approach to the whole subject matter, as I'm saying. There's a way in which the books are perfect that um, remains the case despite grammatical imperfections or um, minor contradictions on some detail, said here one way, said there in another way. I think in in nectar devotion he uses the term ragatmika where it should be raga raganuga. Hmm? Whereas in Chaitanya Charitamrita where Krishna's Kaviraj is repeating the, t- the teachings of Chaitanya Mahabuddha Rupa Goswami in the nineteenth chapter of the Madhilila, it's basically the Bhaktarasamrita Sindha. And of course so Prabhupada's writing there and he properly identifies or distinguishes between ragatmika and raganuga. So, you, you know, Prabhupada knew it, but over here, well, you know, uh, he didn't have a proofreader that knew the philosophy. So Prabhupada had some editors and proofreaders, but they didn't know the philosophy, so they didn't know to say, well, here you said raganuga, but it was supposed to be Ra- Oh, yeah, okay. So then we'll ch- change that. So they take the idea, some devotees, that the perfection of Prabhupada is not entirely what's meant when we say some devotees are beyond the defects, for example, of imperfect senses. Hmm? Have you ever heard that? Heard that? Imperfect senses. So, Prabhupada wore glasses, so I mean, you didn't have 20-20 vision, so I, you know, how are you going to understand that? The idea is that the person does not rely upon their senses in this case, their eyes, hmm, for arriving at the, the, the truth of the matter, but rather they 
replace their eyes, in this sense, with the Shastra. So they have this term Shastra Chakshu. Hmm? So rather than relying on their imperfect senses for knowing, they rely on the sacred texts for knowing, hmm? on revelation. Hmm? This way they rise above the defects, for example, of the senses. This is basically a, a broader way of understanding that, obviously, that that without which, you know, you've got... Yeah, he wore glasses just to pretend that he could act and you, to test you and so forth. You know, I mean, I, I saw Prabhupada make many mistakes—not many, but some. Like, you know, he said, "What is, is what is this?" And, and uh, when he was walking, and it was something other than what it was. You know, I remember walking at the what was that park we used to we used to walk at in Los Angeles sometimes in the morning, and they had aerated the ground so the little pieces of Perhaps said, what is this? Some animal has been here, and this, maybe we shouldn't walk there. You know, looked like a, like a raccoon stool or something. You know? <laughs> I said, no problem. They're aerating. What is aerating? I tell them what aerating is. And so, yeah. Or the first time he saw ice with his cane, and yeah, something like that. Water breaking, broken water. <laughs> Uh, yeah, or he would drink the cup and sometimes it would slip and spill. And so he's just testing you. You say, no, it's not like that. Hmm? So what does it mean that he's perfect? That he, that he, he loves Krishna. Hmm? This is the perfection. So you know, it's not really a good idea to try to take that in a in a literal way with regard to every single thing. Hmm? Uh, it's going to be very difficult to like defend that, if you will, or to explain that when people look and go, well, "What are you talking about? He's wearing glasses," you know, like I say. So, um, so the so the books are perfect hmm? in, in 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 the spirit of which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, for example, said, "Ishvapuri's book must be perfect." Hmm? Um, Prabhupada's books were edited grammatically, but they didn't really have substantive editors of who, who as I say, who knew the philosophy, hmm? and they were very, very, you know. An editor has to be a little bit bossy, a little bit bold. I mean, when, 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 before I had, I wrote a book. Hmm? I wrote a book. It was called Rasa, Love Relationships and Transcendence, and I had written it, and. I just had it sitting on a on a on a computer, and when uh, Brindaranya joined me, she was 19. Um, I don't know somehow that came out. She said, "Well, I could I could edit it." And I said, "Are you? Well, you're not an editor, you know. How do you? So I can learn, you know." So it's hard to take a 19-year-old girl too seriously in one sense, but she was a serious person, <laughs> and uh, so. One thing led to another, and she she just picked up editing, started learning how to edit, and she's the kind of person that can learn things, whatever it is, on her own. Mm-hmm. Eventually, she also got took some courses on editing of her own volition to hone her skills. But at the time, she started she became the editor for Rasa. She, oh boy, she was in a, she was a she was a she would push back. You know, she knew how to push back on Swami. You know, no, you can't do it like that. You know. That was very. We had our spats, you know. It was good. It was it was good. Uh, <laughs> so you know, 
Prabhupada's editing disciples weren't in that mood, you know, to push back on him. He was much older and, you know, from a different culture. It was harder. And we had a very reverential relationship with him. I mean, Brenda Run had a lot of affection and reverence for me, but but still she was ready to push back. So Anyway, so um, it's what it is. The books are what they are, and they're you know they're 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 very very good, very valuable, and they've been they were very enlivening for all of us to read and uh, and uh, widely circulated and so forth. Um, but um, my personal opinion is, despite the fact that there could be some improvement, actual improvement. On some verses, some statements where you can see, you can actually see, oh, he said this in the word for word, but he said it like this in the translation, and, you know, and it doesn't match. And obviously, we should make the match. And there, there's some things like that that an editor in the present, after Prophet has departed, reading could could see how it could be improved, no doubt. My personal opinion is that it's too late to do that because that's true with any book. Hmm. I mean, I wrote a commentary in the Bhagavad Gita. I mean, I couldn't even read it now. So I think, just, oh my God, you know, <laughs> uh, what I could have said and what I said there, you know, it's just so. I, I just need to do another one, you know. That was just so rudimentary. Hmm. It's not entirely true, but it, it, it's, to an extent, that's how I feel about it. Um, So, you know, it's arguably the case that you could improve any book slightly over time and circumstance if then you want to use that book to appeal to people in different times and different circumstances. Now you're going to another place, not just grammar, but in different times and different circumstances where a previous comment would have made sense or been um, accepted and at this point, later in time, things have changed socially, intellectually, whatever may be the case, and, and it wouldn't, it would come off in, a, in an off-putting way or something like that. So thoughts like that were also also arose, I think. And in all of this, I think idea to that there's a license to improve the books is based on an assumption that that these books are more than what they think they are. And they're everything. They're perfect. Hmm? They're perfect, as I'm saying. But so is Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, so is Chaitanya Charitamrita, so is so is Srimad Bhagavatam. Um, still they need ongoing commentaries to be explained. Uh, we don't change them, we comment on them. We comment on them. Hmm. So you could write commentaries if you wanted on his books and, and so forth, and explain it that way if you wanted to. Although his books are primarily commentaries on books, so you know, um, it's probably, in my opinion, best that they're perfect in the way I'm speaking about it, and they should be preserved as they are, seen how effective they were in, in the time, and and they may be. Powerful and effective in the present as as well, to whatever extent. 
But any book I can tell you that's that's written is going to be m- probably most effective in the time that it's that it's written, because the author's going to be really tuned in to the particular audience of the of the time. Hmm? You can go and look at Jiva Goswami's commentary on 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 Bhagavatam or Sanatana Goswami's, and you know you can see if you know what you're what you're doing that they're talking here to, to the to the mm, to the Sankhya people, the yoga people, this the audience they've got in mind. And if you don't know that, and know that philosophy, you don't know what they're saying there, or, or all the implications of it. And a new commentary who understands that commentary would be useful in the present time and so forth. So there needs to be this ongoing tradition of literature and commentary and so forth. The Prophet was in the flow of and a, and a prominent person in that. Hmm? But I don't look at his books as being, you know, the literal law books for the next ten thousand years that overshadow every book that's ever been written in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and every book that ever will be written in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And some people look at the books like that. I think that's wrong. Hmm? And the books are perfect. What about that? Hmm? I think that that that's not the way to look at them. And I think that the that the desire to edit them and improve them is somewhat driven by that sense that these books, you know, we have to slightly tweak these because these are going to be the law books. These are the literal law books. These are, you know, so there may be other books, but we're not going to publish too many of those. And, you know, you can write a few for your students if you want, but, I mean, these are the books for the whole world, Right? Every other book is like some bridge book to Prabhupada's books, which are the literal law books for the next 10,000 years. Uh, you know, which, as I said, that's a hyperbolic statement he made somewhere that's not even recorded anywhere that someone said he said. So it's hardly something that you're going to make the central focus of your of your mission. When he himself said it repeatedly in his books, that preaching has to be... Um, Effective preaching will be determined to some extent by the time, the circumstance, and the audience, which is always changing. So his own books are subject to the very thing that he says, that they're going to be, in this time, you know, in a thousand years, things might change a little bit, you know, in 10,000 years. And so it's, a, it's that kind of, there's a kind of fanaticism hmm, about Prabhupada and about his, his literary legacy and so forth that to some extent, drives this idea, number one, of that they should in an ongoing way be improved. Hmm? Because of their place in history, it's going to be forever. And it also drives those who have the per, are of the persuasion, these books should not be touched. They should not be touched. They're fanatical, if not more so, in the same sense, the, every word he said is perfect. Every single word he said. If you change one word, then everything. Prabhupada said at one point, "I fear that change one word, everything." You know, so that's true. He had a concern like that. They're going to change it, um, but nonetheless, um, the fact of the matter is, the books have been translated in many different languages. How many? You know. <laughs> And they seem to be fairly effective in German and French, and, every, and who knows what words are being used. And it's just like an absurd perspective hmm? 
this very uh, I think they should be preserved as they are but for a different reason as I'm explaining than their reason their reason is because these are like the Mormon golden plates that uh, what's his name Joseph Smith found you know and that's it you know uh, um, and you know, I mean, Prabhupada's books are commentaries on the Gita, on the Bhagavatam, on Chaitanya Charitamrita. He wrote his own book, the teachings of Lord Chaitanya, and so forth. And they're they're part of the body, the the, the literary legacy of our whole sampradaya. Historically, have their place. There's so such wide circulation, and so forth and so on. They're they're commented on in the modern world in consideration of modern circumstances at the time, and so they're very special. And um, and so they they have you know a, a special place, but it's not it's not their their place is not that they overshadow any book that's ever been written. Nectar of devotion doesn't overshadow Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. The, the the Prabhupada's summary study of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that he called the Nectar of Devotion doesn't overshadow. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu itself. Hmm? I mean, that should resonate with a, with a, with a reasonable person. Hmm? And that's and there's so many books in the past, and now going forward, there's some idea that you know, well, you know, any book you write now should just be a book that for for people who are aren't aren't up to speed to read Prabhupada's books, so you can get them up to speed to read Prabhupada's books and. And nothing, nothing more could come out, or should come out. If it's like I said, if you say up to what Prabhupada said, and nothing more, you're acceptable. If you say anything more, or say it different, in a way that somebody hasn't heard, the challenge is, wait a minute, I'm not sure, but then you become suspect. But that's exactly what a sadhu and guru parampara is supposed to do: to challenge your thinking, see this, as you have not become trapped in some. Dogmatic understanding of the teachings. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, hundred and eight. I got it. I got it. I just got to give it to somebody else. I got it. I understand it. No, maybe you don't. Maybe this. You know, maybe that verse has applications that you never thought of, and uh, so forth. And so, new books need to be there. Ongoing literary legacy needs to be there. So, the solution to the problem, right? Is just that you need new books. You need new books. That's going to solve the problem of well, times have changed, and that statement over here is not going to quite fly with some people at, at this time. So people have to be intelligent enough to see that was written at that time. And there's this there's a philosophical term called presentism. Presentism is the philosophical is the, is the is the kind of logical fallacy. Of, of judging persons, cultures, things that have been written and said at other times by present norms. Hmm? I, used to, I like to give the example of Abraham Lincoln, famous president of the United States who, who signed the Proclamation of Emancipation and abolished slavery. So he's hardly a racist, right? But he said, of course, the Negroes could never hold office, but they should be free. 
I mean, you, today's world, you couldn't make a more racist statement. Black Americans are okay, but they, they can't be running for office. That's obvious. I mean, you couldn't, you'd be drummed out of the country for saying that, you know. So, but they said it. But at that time, the slaves were cotton pickers and uneducated people, and he didn't know that given a certain environment, whatever, you know, things in the world are changing. You'll never understand everything about the material world because new things are always coming out about it. It's also unlimited. Hmm? There always be new insight about the world and how it works and what it is. Hmm? And that means about people and their psychology, which is changing. Their brains change over time. We're like a different species. Just go back and look at movies from the 20s or 30s or even the 60s <laughs> when we were around and young. It looks like a, a different planet, you know. Cars are driving, the way they talk, and, and so forth. Anyway, so wait ongoing contribution, right? So the solution to the problem, in my fourth position is this. Right? This is the problem. Prophet's books should be preserved for what they are. If you want to print thousands and thousands, millions of them, and distribute them, that's a good idea. No problem. But... You don't have to tamper with them. You don't have to update them. Hmm? And 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 they're not perfect <laughs> in the grammatical sense. Uh, so there, there's a reason to think maybe I should, but but no, it's already been done. That's what it is. And um, that should be charming. That should be the charming feature of the book. Hmm. Hmm. His, his humanness comes out a little bit, hmm. which endears us to him. If Prabhupada's just a God figure, whatever he does is perfect. It's like hard to get close to him. Right? But he says, what's what's his name? What's his name? That boy who's distributing books? Triparari. Yes, Triparari, yes. You can hear him on tapes sometimes saying that. I brought it up the other day. Somebody said, Prabhupada, I think that we should... Uh, it was the morning walk in Berkeley. said, Prabhupada, I think that we should... That the Bengali sweets would be very popular, we should open a shop and start a business selling Bengali sweets. And Prabhupada said, what's that boy's name? Hmm. Triparari. He is selling the Bengali sweets. Chaitanya Charitamrita. That's our Bengali sweet. <laughs> he closed the discussion. It's probably true, Bengali sweets would be popular, but anyway, that's how he answered at the time. <laughs> Could have been a good business, but... Hmm. So, what was his name? Hmm. Right? He would say things like that. It means he had to be reminded or he had to think for a moment. That's for charming. Hmm? You can't get close to him if he's just omniscient in the literal sense at all times. And, hmm. So, that helped. It's an interesting, yeah, interesting discussion. All right, so I think we we'll stop there. Shishi Dajigopal ki jai, Shiva Prabhupad ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Bhod Premanande.